Let's start out on the, the shallow end. How about a couple knock-knock jokes? Since Brian's not here today, I'll, 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 uh, I'll <laughs> the moans and the groans, if he could, if he could hear that. Um, how about this? Knock-knock. Train. Someone needs to train you how to open the door. Knock, knock. Needle. Need a little help opening the door? Whew. Tracking my inner Brian. I got a couple more because there's a point to this that's actually theological. So, knock, knock. Scold. Scold outside. Let me in. Two more. Knock, knock. Deja. Knock, knock. Some of you are like, I don't get it. I don't get it. All right, here's the one. Here's what we're going to talk about today is Jesus knocking at the door of the enemy, literally. So, knock, knock. I am. You tell me. That's what Jesus says at the door of the enemy. I am is here. You tell me. So we started this series, Let There Be Light, where we're looking at the, the conflict between darkness and light. We went all the way back to the beginning. We talked about how before God creates humans, He created a heavenly family, divine beings, angels, angelic beings. And within this divine family, He had given them the privilege of stewarding over creation with Him. And we know that a third of those Beings, we know from the book of Revelation, at least a third decided to rebel with the devil and, and, and fall and come and introduce wickedness and all kinds of things into, into the world. But we talked about the fact that he is, that darkness has been defeated by Jesus. We have to always remember that. Even though we don't always see it, we have to comprehend and understand that anyone who is willing to submit to Jesus is, is, in, is moved from darkness to light, to come under His covering, to run to our Savior. And, but I, I admit this, when we look around the world, the world is in chaos, right? And, and it's like, we have to remember that there's two kingdoms. It's the tale of two kingdoms. Jesus came and ushered in His kingdom. When He came into this world as a human, God the Son became human, Through his life, death, and resurrection, he inaugurated and ushered in his kingdom. So right now, his kingdom is growing. The kingdom of Jesus is growing throughout the world. The kingdom of Jesus is wherever he's proclaimed king, wherever he's submitted to as king. So he's the king of my heart, he's the king of your heart, and he's he's king wherever that is understood. But there is still this, in a war that's been won, there's still this battle. And God has a plan He's sticking with that plan, and he's going to see it through until Jesus, the whole world hears about Jesus, and then when he returns. So we're going to read, well, let me backtrack. Each week during the series, we're going to try to answer a question about this conflict between darkness and light. Last week, the question was, um, why is there darkness? If God is light and in him there is no darkness, um, why is there Why is there darkness? This week we're going to talk about who's in charge. Because sometimes you wonder, who's in charge? Is it Jesus or is darkness in charge? Let's look at Matthew 16. 
and pick it up in uh, verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. I want to give you a little bit of background and context to where this happened, why it's important to understand. It says that they went to the district of Caesarea Philippi. Um, Caesarea Philippi was at the base of Mount Hermon, the largest mountain peak in Israel. At the top of Mount Hermon, they actually have a ski area. It's kind of a trip to think about in Israel having, they have a couple little bunny hills and so forth, and people can 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 go ski. It's like over 9,000 feet in, in elevation. Well, this area, if you read your Old Testament, was called Bashan. And Bashan was a place of evil, demon worship, false gods, sacrifices. It was ground zero for darkness. It was a ground zero for, for evil and so forth. The Romans renamed Bashan, Caesarea Philippi, Herod named it after his son, Philip. So that there's this region at the base of Mount Hermon. Keep that in your mind. I want to show you a picture. So this is, um, if you see down towards the bottom, that's, this is a modern day aerial photo, obviously. It's not, someone didn't take that during the Bible days, but um, that's Mount Hermon. And at the bottom is this archaeological dig that you, we, go, we went and visited when we went to, to Israel, and I'm not going to say it. Um, and you can go and see this place where this idolatry worship happened. And if you remember from last week in Genesis 6, we talked about not just the fall of Adam and Eve bringing death into the world, but in Genesis 6, um, the Jews believed that that is where um, what happened in Genesis 6, remember the sons of God came and mated with the, the daughters of humans and created the Nephilim, the giants, and so forth, and then God ends up flooding the earth to, to rid of these kind of half-breed sort of creatures. And, and when you read the Bible, you have a choice. Am I going to say that this is mythology, or is, it just, is there really a supernatural realm? I'm going with there's a real supernatural realm. Our whole faith hinges on a miracle in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the supernatural is real. Um, so as, you're, as you go to the next picture for me. So remember Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Well, that place right there, they called the gates of hell. They believed that that was the gateway into Hades where Satan is the Lord of the dead. 
And that, you, that pool was access into, literally, it was the gates of hell. And then in this next picture, I want you to notice something. That's another cave of the gates of hell. See in the front there, there's like an old colonnade, like a piece of a colonnade. You're going to see in a minute a painting that somebody did of what it probably looked like at the time of Jesus. And so you see like the, they built these little temples and, and buildings and, and so forth. And then the next one, that's an ancient altar that they would have done sacrifices and all kinds of stuff. And then the next one, I don't think Chandler realized she was on the sacrificial altar when I took this picture of her. <laughs> all right. So this outside of this place in Caesarea Philippi, this is, they had this painting that you could look at, and I'll show you an up close of it. Next one, yeah. So remember that first pool would have been on the far left with the columns. You got the little altar, then the next pool, and so on and so forth. There, and you got people, you know, the sanctuary of Pan, where all these false gods were worshipped. All, all this evil was just kind of manifest in this area at the bottom of Mount Hermon. And then let's go back to that aerial photo. So you have Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is out proper how you're supposed to say it. We want to say Mount Hermon, but it's Mount Hermon. Jesus takes his disciples to this place, and he's going to pick a fight in a different way of picking a fight. He brings them to the place where all this darkness hap- has happened and evil is worshipped. And he says, who do the people say I am? Who do you say I am? Get the revelation, Peter, that he's the Christ, the son of the living God. This is where my little knock-knock joke came in. <laughs> Jesus comes, shows up, and says, knock-knock. Dark, dark, no, you don't want to be darkness in this one. Darkness says, who's there? He says, Yahweh. Yahweh who? You can call me Jesus. <laughs> That's Jesus is Yahweh. You can call me Jesus. If, if, this is who I am. And so it's interesting, you can take that down, the part where um, right after Peter gets this revelation, and he says, you know, you're the son of the living God. Peter, flesh and blood, hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Well, right after that, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to have to go suffer and die at the hands of sinful men. And Peter says, no way, not on my watch. That's not happening, Jesus. We're going to make Israel great again. We are going to take this back and defeat the Romans, and you're our Messiah. And he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about. You have in mind the things of men, not the things of God. It'd be pretty shaking to hear Jesus say, get behind me, Satan, and he's looking right at you. Peter didn't know what was going on. But Satan did. The evil world heard Jesus say, yeah, I'm the Christ. I'm the son of the living God. Jesus was making them aware. He had, he had, he had kind of was not, you know, he, every time he would do a miracle, he'd say, hey, don't tell anybody about this, right? Because it wasn't his time yet. But now it's picking up speed where he knows he's going to go and, and submit himself unto death on our behalf. Satan knew what was going on, and so that's why he was influencing Peter. 
And then right after this, in Matthew 17, and all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, say that the revelation about you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the next chapter is the transfiguration. So Jesus takes them to the top of Mount Hermon. And when he takes them to the top of Mount Hermon, the place where the Jews believed evil was entered into this world, depravity was taught to men, that he goes up and he's transfigured. And his clothes turn bright white. And he's in all his glory. And it says that Moses and Elijah showed up and were, began talking with Jesus. Moses represents the law. Elijah, the prophets. How many times did Jesus say that he had to, came to fulfill all that was written about him in the law, Moses and the, and the prophets, Elijah? And then it says that the Father shouted from heaven so the disciples could hear this. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And then Jesus went back to normal and they walked back down the mountain and Jesus told them again, I'm going to have to suffer at the hands of sinful men. This time they didn't say anything. <laughs> they went, okay, we don't know what that means, but we're not saying anything about it anymore. I don't want to be called Satan anymore. <laughs> I'm sure Peter was thinking. Let's go back to the question, who's in charge? Who's in charge? When Jesus said, when, when Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said, you're Peter, and upon this rock... I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And he was looking down at the gates of hell, that stuff I was just showing you. He was saying, this is not going to prevail, guys. I'm going to build my church. Well, when he says, upon this rock, up until just recently, I didn't know for sure what that meant. Some Christian traditions say that the rock was Peter. Peter, you're going to be my guy and you're going to, I'm going to build my church from here upon you could be. Peter was, you know, greatly used by Jesus. Another Christian tradition says that the rock is um, the revelation itself, the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. That's what he's going to build his church on. But if Jesus is talking in a literal sense about the place that they were at in Caesarea Philippi, I think he's saying, Upon this rock, upon this mountain, upon Mount Hermon, upon this area, I'm going to build my church. I'm going into the gates of hell. This is where the good news begins to just boggle your mind. Gates are defensive by nature. Their gates are trying to keep something out, right? You shut your gate, you don't want anyone coming in your backyard. Jesus says, I'm going to blow those gates up. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. He's saying he's in charge. You and I need to believe he's in charge. And the more and more we see that, the more our minds are blown. He's going to build his church on the very place where depravity was entered into this world. And yet here's the cool part about Jesus. Jesus doesn't win this battle with tanks, swords, guns, nuclear missiles, none of that. Jesus wins this battle, blows up the gates of hell by his submission, his humble, loving submission unto death for us. He didn't, he didn't win this war through his power. He won it through his submission. And then he submitted himself to death 
And on the third day, he rose again. And he, and he pulled the plug on all the power of darkness. He disarmed the power of darkness by his submission. That's our Savior. That's our, our God. It's so important that we understand that. In Matthew 28, after Jesus was resurrected, he told his disciples, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Who's in charge? Jesus is in charge. The enemy can do nothing to Jesus. He can do nothing. Jesus will never die again. He's in his resurrected, glorified body. He can do nothing to Jesus, and he can do nothing to those that are with Jesus. He can't do anything. We're going to go through trials and struggles in life. Trials and struggles are meant for our growth. We grow when we go through trials. Temptation is meant for your destruction. And Jesus never tempts anybody. He said, in this life, you're going to have trials and and struggles, but take courage. I've overcome the world. So if you're in the middle of a trial right now, you're in the middle of a health crisis, relationships, whatever, submit to Jesus and watch him work it for good. Watch him grow your faith. Jesus said in Luke 10, he sends the 70 disciples out to go preach the kingdom. And they come back. And they say, Jesus, even the demons submit to us. He had given them authority over, over serpents, he said, and, and, and over the demons. And they came back and they said, man, they even submit to us. And Jesus says, yeah, that's, I have given you authority. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And he said, don't rejoice in the authority that you have over demons. Rejoice that your name's written in heaven. That's what he wanted him to focus on. We have to understand today that Jesus, he's in charge. So I want to make this practical, take all this, you know, theological understanding. How does that play out in my everyday life? How does it play out in your everyday life? How do we realize Jesus is in charge? How do we experience that Jesus is in charge The first thing I would tell you to write down is I I need to understand who he is. You need to understand who he is. The more you understand who Jesus is, the more you'll recognize his authority in your own life and in in spiritual warfare and darkness and, and his light will always shine when you recognize who he is. The Apostle Paul wrote the Colossians and he, he gives the most impactful reality of, paints the most impactful picture of the reality of who Jesus, the Son of God, is. says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Let me stop there for a second. That language should start making more and more sense. That the rulers, dominions, and authorities is not governments and people. It's that fallen spiritual realm that we're given authority. And Jesus came to take it back by what he did in his life, death, and resurrection. You can see in the world strongholds over nations. Um, Nathan Enoch, I met with him the other day. He's a missionary in Turkey. And... You start talking about things in the Middle East and other countries where there's power-hungry, keeping people down, 
and abuse and all of that, that's the strongholds of, of spiritual, fallen spiritual beings that we're praying against and praying for God to open doors so that the gospel goes in and we get to tell people how much God loves them, how powerful he is. So it says, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have the, be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You'll never overestimate Jesus. <laughs> He is a big deal. He's the reason we exist. And in his love, he just wants to share that with us. God loved us so much that he, he gave this amazing person to us. Now, the spiritual realm knows this truth about Jesus too. And they shudder. Don't you ever forget that. They shudder at, at the reality of this. Every time Jesus, in his humanity... They saw who he was. Who are you, Jesus? What do you want to do with us? They knew he had all authority and all power to cast them out, to send them away. And here's the beautiful thing for us. He's our refuge. That who we're talking about, when I understand who he is, we get to run to Jesus, our refuge, our fortress, the one who has authority over everything on heaven and earth. That's who you're running to when you, when you run to him. Second thing, to realize, experience that Jesus is in charge, I need to understand who he is, and then I need to believe in what he did. I need to believe in what he did. Again, in Colossians, Paul says this to them. He says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. It's beautiful. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Go to a baseball game. I've been to a couple in my life. You go to a baseball game and a batter's on deck waiting for his shot at going up to the plate. And if you have seats that are close enough, you hear hecklers. You suck. You're a bum. Well, I covered when I said suck. That's probably a good thing. You bum. You stink. Blah, blah, blah. And the batter's up there. He can hear it. You know, you got to try to tune it out, but he can hear the hecklers and the talking. Well, He's, you you got to just realize, those people can't do anything to me. They're just talking. All it is is talk. Well, Jesus defeated our enemies. He defeated the enemy of sin by nailing it to the cross. 
He defeated sin brings death. He defeated death by dying and rising again. Then he defeated darkness. He disarmed their, their power. So those enemies were defeated. Now all they do to you and I in Christ, heckle. You scared to die? <laughs> uh, I know what you did, sin. Um, I'm going to get you, the evil one says. On and on. I mean, there's these little heckler voices. How many have ever heard that? Right. We hear it daily. We got to be like that batter in the box and say, I say what you want. I'm with Jesus. <laughs> and you can't strike out in Jesus. He's a thou- he bats a thousand. And we're good. So you're in Christ. I was thinking about this, um, the story of David and Goliath. And I was thinking, why do we call that a children's story? Not exactly a G-rated story here. But, um, you know... Goliath being one of the offspring of the Nephilim, the giants, he's heckling Israel and where's your God and blah, blah, blah. It says for 40 days this happened. And on the 40th day, this young man named David got sick of it. He got sick of the heckling. And the number 40 in scripture is always the number of deliverance. Forty days in the wilderness, Jesus was tempted. Forty years for the children of Israel. That's not happenstance. That's there. It's the day of deliverance. And David comes out with his sling and stone and says, in the name of our God, boom, brings down the giant, cuts off his head. Killer children's story. They had Noah in the, in the flood. Good, good children's story. But I was thinking about this. Jesus comes from the line of David. Goliath represented the last of the giants. There's something to that. Jesus is the son of David. The Messiah was going to come through the lineage of David. And sure enough, Jesus came through that lineage. And Jesus didn't come to defeat darkness with a sling and a stone or a sword. He defeated darkness in his life, death, and resurrection. He didn't, need, he didn't need to kill. He did it because he's in charge. And he showed the world and the spiritual world that he's in charge. And boy, do we have a good Lord. Boy, do we have the best that's in charge. He'll never let you down. He'll never lead you astray. Paul in 1 Corinthians says something fascinating. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. Again, not government. We're talking spiritual rulership who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The dark world influencing the religious leaders. Let's get rid of this Messiah. We we know who he is. If we kill him, we win. The, The Pharisees in their own mind thought, well, he's just, you know, he's not really for Israel. He's doing his own thing. We need to get rid of him too. And there was an influence that was going on there. And so you ask the question, who crucified Jesus? We often say, well, the Romans did. 
the Jews did. Or I did in my own sin. All three are true. But really, it was the dark realm. It was the rulers of this age. Paul says clearly, they crucified Jesus. And when Jesus was on the cross, and they shouted their insults, even before, crucify him, give us Barabbas. He saved others, but he can't save himself. What's he say? Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. They're being influenced by another realm. So I need to understand who he is. I need to believe in what he did. And then the last thing I'm going to tell you is I need to align my will to his. If you want to experience the authority of Jesus, him being in charge, and I mean this in the most positive of ways, you align your will to Jesus. The battle that, that in a war that's already been won, the battlefields take place in our mind, in our flesh, and in our will. That's, those are the three arenas of battle that continue on. And he, the, the enemy's been defeated. He's like a bee without a stinger. When you've been stung by a bee, and even you hear a bee, it's like, whoa, hey, man, it's still got the power to intimidate you, right? Well, that's, that's the enemy's power has been um, disarmed. We need to appropriate the authority of Jesus, and we align our will to his. So important. The other day, Janelle and I were playing golf, and uh, she's getting really good, so you should cheer her on on that. She looks awesome in her little golf clothes, but um, where am I going? Uh, love my wife. So... Um, I got to go. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> so we're playing golf and we were, this third guy ended up playing with us. And anyone that plays golf and you get a, a stranger play with you, you begin to talk. I mean, it's what we're supposed to do as human beings. And you begin to talk, small talk, da, 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 da. And towards the end of our nine holes, I said, uh, do you go to church? And he said, ah, he said, I'm spiritual, but the whole church thing, I got kind of burnt out in the denomination I grew up in. And he said, I wanted to learn to think for myself. And I thought, aha, how do I respond to that? And I thought, you know, I get what you're saying on a positive sense, but thinking for myself got me in a lot of trouble in my life. Anybody relate to that? <laughs> I need Jesus to tell me how to live. He created me. So he knows what the good life, what the best life, what a godly life is about. And following Jesus is the best life we can ever live. We don't follow him out of rules and duty. and Nobody likes that. We're not wired that way. And I don't think he wants us to follow him that way. I think he'll shave that off us. When we're legalistic and, and always out to get me and he's always mad, he's going to let life shave that off so that we can have a relationship with him and enjoy him, even in the hard stuff, even when he asks us to do something difficult. Learning to live from Jesus. Jesus, you're the Lord. You know what's best. So I want to learn how to think, act, and speak the way you would, the way you do. And Jesus, I fail at it every day, you know, <laughs> but I want to follow you. That's the disposition of our heart. When we read Psalm 24, he talked about, 
you know, ascending to the hill of the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart. He's not talking about perfection. Jewish people didn't believe in perfection. They believed the law separated them and how they were to live their lives, that it was actually good. And I agree. But you don't have a relationship with God through rule keeping. It's the disposition of the heart. Lord, I want to follow you. What, would, what, do you, what do you want me to do in every situation? Jesus said something amazing in John 7, 7, 17. He said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. He's speaking to a bunch of religious people who didn't believe in him. And he said, listen, if, don't, if you don't believe in me, that's fine. Do what I say and you'll realize that I'm from the Father you'll realize who I am. So that goes for anybody who doesn't believe, is unsure about Jesus. Jesus gives the invitation, put into practice what I say to do, and you'll know who I am. I think that's amazing. And then Jesus told his disciples, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Any parent with the right motivation when you teach and instruct your children, and they actually do what you say to do, that's a good feeling. When we're, from, when we're in the right motivation, when we're, we're not trying to get to do what we want you to do, but do it because it's the right thing to do, as a parent, you go, man, that's awesome. Jesus is saying the same thing. Hey, if you want to show love to me, do what I say to do. Put into practice my words. Let's go back to all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. He's in charge. I want to show you a clip from The Chosen, and our family's a little late to the party when it comes to The Chosen, but man, is it good. It is so good, and um, it's, it's, uh, they give a little bit of backstory that's not necessarily in Scripture. They're not, they're, the theological scriptural truths are right on the money. I keep telling them as we're watching, oh, that's John 5, oh, John 6, you know, you see it happening. But we don't know all the backstory of the disciples, and the chosen does a really good job of, of you um, seeing that and in the humanity and the relationships. You can download the app for free and watch it, you know, on your phone or whatever, but it's super cool. In this clip that I'm going to show you, remembering all authority has been given to Jesus, it's about Mary Magdalene in the very first episode. And Mary Magdalene, as a child, was, was taught the Scriptures, but, but then was abused. And she has seven demons, we're, we're told in Scripture, were cast, J- Jesus cast seven demons that harassed her. And they do a good job of portraying uh, Mary and her, her struggles. And in this particular episode, they, they take a backstory and they take Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel. And the Romans are tired of Mary Magdalene causing chaos in this part of of. Uh, Capernaum, and they um, send Nicodemus. Will you, religious leader guy, go go deal with this, you know, Jewish lady who has these demons? And he goes and he says all his things and his prayers, and he can't cast them out. And he says something profound. He says, "Only God could cast those demons out." Watch this. What do we do when we are scared? We say the words. That's Mary as a little girl. From the prophet? Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, right. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. 
says the Lord who created you and he who formed you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You I don't understand it myself. But here is what I can tell you. I was one way. And now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. So yes, I will know him for the rest of my life. like a baby the first time I saw that. I just, woo, come on, that is who we follow. So stand with me. We're going to sing to our glorious, loving, humble Savior who has all power, all authority. And I want you to sing this morning. Sing with all your heart. Sing with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Sing to the one who has freed you who has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into his kingdom of light. Let's sing to him. Your glory spins the earth 
Your whisper makes your fire fall down And there's no
Most of my early life following false joys. They don't bring joy. They promised. Sin promises, hey, I'll make you happy, only to leave you laying the trash can, the side of the road. Jesus is always there, and he's always perfect. If I had my life to do over again, I would have followed him every step of the way from the day I was born. But he had a diff- worked it for good, right? He does. He works our, you know, forgive me, the crap of life becomes fertilizer to become trees planted by living water. He's in the fertilizer business. Give him your stuff and let him work for that. Young people, don't waste your time on anything other than I want to follow Jesus. And for all of us, let's leave here today and let's, let's go live in love like we really follow Jesus. Like he really gets to call the shots. He really get, is in charge. And when we blow it, say I blow it. Take responsibility. He's not going anywhere. He knows we're not going to be sinless in this life. He loves me anyway. He's not tolerating us. You're infinite, infinitely, infinitely loved. So don't listen to the enemy. He's a liar, murderer, and a thief. Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. We live abundant life when we do what he says to do and we just follow him. It's not rules. It's not do's and don'ts. It's love. It's always out of love. So Father, thank you that the Lord Jesus reigns supreme. We declare it today. Lord, we're not waiting. We're just saying now we bow the knee and we confess With our mouth, Jesus, you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're with you. We're your church. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us in all truth. Leads and guides our thoughts, our our lives. We submit to that. Thank you for a refreshing today that we've had through worship, through your word, through fellowship with one another. God, we know that even as we leave here or tomorrow, we're back to the grind, the daily stuff. Let, let what we're engaged with right now permeate the rest of our week. In Jesus' name, amen.